It is the 200 level episode 97, Mike Carpenter from the basement and about to head on vacation. So there will be no 200 levels next week. That would be, I guess, June uh, 21st through the 28th, but we'll get back at it the following week. And as we march towards our 100th episode, unfortunately, not a lot of sports, at least games to talk about, but plenty in terms of sports news, especially with Major League Baseball, which we'll start with here in just a bit, because it seemed like a couple days ago they had actually found a resolution. Rob Manfred was feeling so good about it, and now here we are today in as much limbo as they've ever been. But before we get to that, a reminder that the 200 level is brought to you by DP Doe, online at dpdoe.com for all the best deals and prices. Order online at dpdo.com. You can get a custom zone with any topping that you want. You can get one of their favorites, like the Buffer Zone, the Maui Wowie, my personal favorite, and, of course, their signature dipping sauce. And, best of all, they deliver anywhere in Champaign-Urbana so you can stay cool inside your home in the air conditioning on this very hot weekend. They'll bring a steaming hot calzone to you, dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level or the 200 level for 10% off your order at fourthandkirby.com. And they have awesome t-shirts, vintage inspired Alani apparel. I got two of these t-shirts. They fit great. They're high quality. And if you buy two, you get one free. So think of that. Buy two, get one free. That's all year round. And coupon code 200 level for 10% off fourthandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com for all your insurance needs. So we could be talking life, auto, home, business, renters, whatever. They'll at least get you some good information. But more than that, they are local. So they have your local interest at heart. We're talking Champaign-Urbana, born and raised. Brian's a great guy, someone that you can trust and you want that in your insurance agent. Online at brianismyguy.com. Trevor's favorite domain name, brianismyguy.com. Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners of the 200 level. No guest today. Going to go solo. Not sure for how long. Maybe an hour if I'm feeling it, maybe 40 minutes. But did want to get one more podcast before we get out of here. My wife and I going up to Michigan for a nice, chill week. And the thing is, it's not as if there's a need for me to chill. I've basically been doing that since early March. But it will be nice to detach. And I said this, I think, on last podcast or a couple podcasts ago, that with all the different things swirling around in the news, even in the world of sports, socially, racially, that as much as it is important to kind of be on top of these things and be a part of the conversation, it is also nice to detach. Because if you were to focus on something like this 100% of the time, you run the risk of burning yourself out. And in the middle of a pandemic and all the racial issues going on right now, it would be all too easy to do that. So this will be a week where I kind of tune out. Cell service is limited. Wouldn't be able to do a podcast even if I wanted to up there. So it's going to be nice to leave the equipment at home, go up there and just kind of tune out, detach for a little bit because every single day, and I don't know if you feel the same way as I do, but every single day feels like three days in one. And I noticed the time has gone on, uh, started to at least pick up in terms of pace. It seems like weeks are starting to go by a lot quicker than they used to. But in terms of a day, all the news that's fit to print seems like three times what it was even three months ago. We are inundated with news. And for me, all that idle time, you know, I try to find things to do around the house. I go running. I find projects to do. I'm working on the album for our band. But even with that, there's a lot more downtime than there would be if I were in school, in the classroom. So naturally, what do you do? Oh, check your phone. Oh, you get on Twitter. Okay, what's going on in the world? For me, Twitter is essentially a news source, for better or worse. And certainly, it is a lot of commentary and a little bit of news. But I try to parse what I can and find the news stories that are worth reading, just so I know what's going on. 
But again, it's easy to fall into that rabbit hole and kind of get sucked into it. Now, the big thing that's been going on, Twitter, in the sports world at least, has been Major League Baseball. And as I had left the last podcast, I felt very cynical about the sport returning. But then on Wednesday, we got news that, hey, guess what? We have an agreement. Not even a proposal, but it was sort of framed as an agreement. And Rob Manfred and the owners, they felt great about it. Here we go. We got a 60-game season starting July 19th. Expanded playoffs. 16-team expanded playoffs. And as I sit here on Friday, and certainly things could change. By the time you listen to this, this may be dated. I kind of hope it is. But there was no baseball season yet. The players did not agree to anything. They counterproposed with 70 games. To me, call me an idealist, but I'm thinking, well, great, call it 65 games and let's move on. But apparently the owners are pissed, feeling as if they had an agreement and that the players now are reneging on that agreement. So we wait. And the more this goes on, the more I despise the owners for letting it get to this point in the first place. But also, and I got a text from Harry Black, and I love Harry just for his upfront honesty about this. He's thinking, you know, does it seem a little bit silly that we had an agreement, now the players, they demand 10 more. And listen, I'm not saying at this point that the players are not a little bit culpable as well. Simply for the fact that I'm frustrated, I want games. For selfish reasons, I'm thinking, players, just take the 60 games and let's move on. Let's have a season. However bastardized of a season it may be, it's at least something. So as we sit here and wait for resolution, which again, seems as simple as 65 games, let's play. What we're looking at, unfortunately, is something that's not just a short-term problem. We're looking at a league that will probably be going into the negotiations, I think, December 1st, 2021. And these two sides hate each other. There is not much common ground, which leads me to think the 2022 season is tenuous at best. It is hard to imagine all of a sudden Tony Clark and Rob Manford waking up on the right side of the bed and saying, guess what? We figured out all of our issues and the owners and the players are in lockstep. No, that's probably not going to happen. And it's frustrating from a, again, selfish perspective here that the Yankees are in this championship window. I'm thinking they could win a few titles in the next decade as long as there are seasons to be played. Now, it always does seem, as I think that line from The Dark Knight, it's always darkest before the dawn. I think Alfred says that to Bruce Wayne. And it does feel like we could wake up in a week from now with a schedule established. Games are starting July 19th. <sighs> okay. They averted disaster. But even with that, let's not forget that there is a pandemic going on. Just today, I think five players out of the Phillies camp in Clearwater tested positive for coronavirus. And we know Florida, it's a hot spot right now. It's as bad as any place in the country. Florida and Arizona, go figure. The two places that would have spring training, even though I'm not sure if teams would just go to their home cities and train there instead. But there are teams in Florida. There is a team in Arizona. There are teams in California. That's not doing so well. So even if they get this thing off the ground, it's amazing that with all these different news stories going on, we tend to forget that a pandemic is still out there. And we didn't really flatten the curve like the European Union, for example. Instead, we're just kind of treading water here at about 23,000 new cases a day, about 800 deaths per day. We plateaued at a level that I guess we've accepted because there's not an amount of outrage about that many people dying or that many people getting infected while other civilized countries have figured their crap out a long time ago. So even if these leagues have the best laid plans, it does seem tenuous at best to actually get an entire season in there. Now, all that said, I want the news to come out. I want Rob Manfred and Tony Clark to release a joint statement. We have agreed to a 65-game season, effective July 15th, whatever. 
We're going to start training immediately at each club's facility. We have expanded playoffs, 16 teams. Oh, remember, universal DH. I know that's controversial, but as an American League guy, I really don't care. I'm fine with it. And I would be happy. But also know that this could certainly all go away if there's a bad second wave or if a team, let's say a clubhouse, has an outbreak. What do you do then? I know that that's probably part of the plans. I know the NFL, they're looking at it too after Anthony Fauci said that, you know, football, unless they stay in a bubble, I don't know how we're going to pull this off. And the NFL responded, hey, we know it's going to be tough, but we have what we think is a very good safety protocol. So it's weird, right? Because this time more than any, I want live sports. But on the other hand, I also don't want them to come back only for them to be immediately taken away. I would find that to be immensely discouraging. Wouldn't we all? You know, you get 30 games into a baseball season, eight different teams have outbreaks in the clubhouses, and then, well, what do you do? Do we have eight teams just kind of sit out for a while? I don't know. It does seem, though, that we have kind of lost track of the fact that this pandemic has not gone anywhere, and it's not going anywhere. Clearly, warm weather is not the deterrent that we hoped it would be. It's frustrating. All these things together. In fact, today was going to be when I would pop over to my dad's place, we'd drive over to Indy for two nights of Dave Matthews Band, meet up with a bunch of friends there. So for me, sports would quench that thirst a little bit for events, but I was just thinking that today, like, oh my God, we would be going over for two nights of Dave. It's a beautiful, hot summer weekend. It's perfect for it. Same thing with baseball, right? That it is just a mainstay of the summer where I'd be checking the screen, even at a Dave show. If there was a song I didn't really like and I had to go take a piss break, I'd check my phone. Oh, how are the Yankees doing against the Red Sox, right? But it's not there. So it is the absence of these things that's really starting to hit home. I want them to return. These are parts of my summer that I always look forward to. Again, this is all selfish talk, but I think that a lot of us feel that way. So for baseball, in the midst of all these things going on, grow up, put on your big boy pants, 65 games. It just seems so simple, right? Maybe I would be the worst negotiator in the world if I just simply said, okay, you said 60, you said 70, let's go 65. Maybe that is way oversimplification, but come on, we need baseball, even if it is a shortened season and even if... I think I saw this would be interesting. If there were a 50-game season last year, or even a 60-game season, the Nationals would not have even made the expanded playoffs. And they went on, of course, to win the World Series. I get it. But you know what? I, I really don't care at this point. I, <laughs> we look at a sport that has already been facing so many different quality of play issues or the steroid era, back to the day where guys were using amphetamines, the asterisk, or asterisk next to Roger Maris's 61st home run because they played 162 games. So for me, one season where they happen to only play 60 or 65 regular season games, I'll take it. And I'll say, whoever won the World Series, that's the World Series champion for 2020. You kind of got to go with the hand that you're dealt. And unfortunately, baseball, because they have prolonged this thing so long, really will have no other choice. And unfortunately, this is probably just going to lead to long-term issues with the sport. We already anticipated, I think it was the last free agent offseason before the 2019 season, where guys like Dallas Keuchel weren't getting signed until June. And we were thinking, well, something's not right here. And thinking even then that 2021 would be the last season potentially for a while unless they figured their stuff out. Well, this has only compounded the issue. You got the worst commissioner in all of sports. What I was thinking about Rob Manfred, the fact that he was really framing this as an agreement and not part of a negotiation, is like a middle school kid that he thinks he's dating this girl, but it turns out she just wants to be friends. But he's been going around telling everybody like, well, yeah, I'm, da I'm dating Cindy. Yeah, we're dating. 
only for Cindy to say, no, no, I never agreed to that. That's what Rob Manfred's like here. So on one hand, you could say, well, did the players screw this up? Were they negotiating in bad faith? Did Tony Clark say something to indicate that they agreed to it or not? No, I, I doubt that. I think that Rob Manfred might have even done this just to try to put more pressure on the players, only to serve to piss them off even more. And then the players come back. And now the owners are pissed off and it's just a big S show. I probably shouldn't say the S word. We've had a few of those dropped in with interviews the last couple of weeks, but whatever. You, you guys can hear it. It's PG-13. You know, I think you can actually get away with two S words in a PG-13 movie. You might even be able to get away with one F word, but I have to look that up. Anyways, baseball, it's a mess. And I would love to think that after I publish this, 30 minutes after I put this up, they'll have figured it out. But for some reason, I don't get that to be the case. If anything, it seems like the owners might run the clock out on this until they can force a 50-game season. But then you get back to the issues of the players filing a grievance saying the owners did not act in good faith. One thing that I read today that I thought was interesting is that the owners in a grievance suit or a grievance case, whatever, I don't know if they actually go to a court. I think it's an arbitrator. But they would be able to defend themselves a little bit better because of the pandemic. They could say, well, because of the health and safety issues, we needed to go with a 50-game schedule and make sure that we were done by the end of October before a potential second wave that they could actually use that in a grievance case, which I get, I understand. So it seems like both sides are proceeding with a lot of braggadocio, you know, a lot of chest puffing, walking around, carrying a big stick, when in actuality, if they got into a grievance case, I don't know how confident either one should actually feel. There's too many moving parts in it. So I'll save the rest of that for a labor negotiator or arbitrator, someone that actually knows what they're talking about. I'm really just kind of rehashing some of the stories I've read about this thing. But the next story I want to read is 65-game schedule agreed to. Hopefully we get to that. Something that happened earlier in the last week, NASCAR, which all of you know I'm a huge fan of, but in all seriousness is a big deal. I mean, this is something that tens of millions of people will spend their Saturdays and Sundays watching NASCAR events. It's a huge thing, especially in the South, let's call it what it is, but they came out and said no more Confederate flags, certainly not in the racetracks, maybe in the tailgate lots as well. Not sure how you police something like that, but they said we are not going to allow that. We want to foster an environment of inclusivity, which I don't normally think of with NASCAR, but that's a little bit of my own biases getting involved where I'm thinking, okay, well, NASCAR races tend to be predominantly white. They tend to be in the South. If I were a black man, I don't know how comfortable I'd feel going to one of those things. But also, even as you know, a Yankee like myself, north of the Mason-Dixon line, I would not necessarily feel at home at a NASCAR race. Same way I wouldn't feel at home at a Dirks Bentley concert. Nothing wrong with it, but it's just not my scene per se. But of course, this got a lot of outcry from people that would argue that the use of the Confederate flag as a symbol has more to do with heritage, not hate. I remember distinctly when I was eight, nine, ten years old, and we were driving, and I think it was around Campus Town on Springfield Avenue. I don't know why I remember this as vividly as I do, but it was the first time I saw one of those bumper stickers that said, heritage, not hate, with a Confederate sticker. And I asked my mom, well, huh? What does that mean? That, that's the Confederate flag, right? And she said, yeah, she's like, I, I, I don't know. I can't really explain what he's trying to say with that heritage, not hate. Because even at a young age, you are taught that, well, the North beat the South in the Civil War and the Confederate flag stands for slavery and yada, yada, yada. And you could argue that, well, the Confederate flag stands for more than that. But ultimately, let's kind of chip away here at what it means. It is a flag for a Confederacy which stood for a very short amount of time 
whose economy was based on slavery and who partially fought that war to ensure that they could continue using slaves. I mean, that's not really beating around the bush or painting an unfair picture of what the Confederacy was. This is not to say that the North was faultless in this. And actually, come to find out, slavery was not completely abolished until the 13th Amendment anyways. And that's a whole other can of worms. If you want to watch the documentary 13th on Netflix, really suggest it. But regardless, the Confederate flag is one of the most instantly recognizable symbols of racism. It is. There's that word, right? But it is because of the fact it stood for slavery, not so much indirectly, but let's be real, kind of directly. Back in 2018, my student teaching gig was at Heritage High School down in Broadlands, and I had a really good experience down there. It's a very rural school with, I think, a total student population of less than 300, so it's, it's small. Again, a great time. It was something that I'd never experienced going to Urbana schools and then UIUC up here in Champaign, but... It was eye-opening because within a block or two of that school, there was a big old Confederate flag just hanging on somebody's garage. And while the school itself did not allow those to be hung anywhere around the school or in the parking lot, it was still very visible. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Again, thinking, well, we're in Illinois, so why would somebody have that? And Listen, I like Leonard Skinner as much as the next guy, and I know that they hung that flag at their shows, even though I think they've disassociated themselves with it. But it has become as much of a cultural thing as it was a race thing in the minds of people that would fly them. So if someone were to make the argument that you take the Confederate flag away, that you were actually sort of taking away a cultural symbol that means more than just racism, I would understand maybe where they're coming from. But you also need to acknowledge the environment that you're in. And this actually took me back to the Chief Illiniwek situation. Remember the Chief? Yes, it was 2007. I was a sophomore at the U of I. And I remember getting that email that said the Chief was going to have one more performance, and that was it. We got a mass mail, all the students. Felt kind of betrayed as someone that lived in this community, grew up loving Chief Illiniwek as a kid. I still have some chief stuff around the house, for better or worse. I understand why that may not be a good thing, but I still got some chief stuff. And watching that final performance and being emotional about it because it was part of my youth and all that kind of nostalgia, all that stuff. Now, do I miss Chief Alinawak now? I don't. And for a variety of reasons. The biggest one being that I realized fairly quickly that my emotions attached to this figure were based on my childhood and nostalgia, and not so much any sort of true affection for Chief Alaniwak, who he himself was kind of a fictional creation, kind of a, a conglomeration of all these different Native American figures, and we made him our own. But yeah, I got over it pretty quickly. And there are still a decent number of Illinois fans that have not, that will wear the Chief apparel or still yell Chief during the three and one. And hey, you do you. It does not offend me personally, though I also understand how that may offend someone with Native American ancestry, or for that matter, someone who knows what really happened to Native Americans in the history of this country. Just absolutely brutal stories about how we came over here, the white man essentially came over here and off with their heads. It wasn't too pretty. But I recall the whole buildup to that and also the aftermath of it, even within the last 13 years in a post-chief world how people still have emotions that run high when it comes to Chief Alaniwek, that it still gets conversation going. And I, I think this is where the disconnect starts for me. 
is that we have these old symbols, the Confederate flag being one, Chief Alonawak being another, and I'm not trying to compare the two, but it is apples and oranges. But they are just symbols. So why do we get so attached to these things when, in all actuality, it's just a logo or a guy dancing around a field like Chief Alonawak? Or in the case of the Confederate flag, it's just simply a flag for a short-lived Confederacy. What are we protecting? What are we ultimately holding on to? I think, again, nostalgia is a big part of it. If you grew up with a certain symbol in your house and someone tries to take that away, even if you know that there are some unsavory aspects of that symbol, you're going to fight a little bit. You're going to push back on that and say, well, hold on. This, this is part of me. Chief Alaniwak is part of my Alani fandom. The Confederate flag is part of my family's culture. But it seems like a weird hill to die on. I see the word freedom often thrown around, the freedom to hang your Confederate flag, the freedom to not wear your mask. That's becoming a new thing. <laughs> uh, the freedom to wear chief apparel at an Illini game, which they let you do. I've never seen someone get kicked out of a game for wearing a t-shirt with the chief Illiniwick logo. And full disclosure, and I know this may not be racially sensitive to say this, but if you could have told me back then, we will give you the chief logo, but we got to take everything else away. I'd take it because just from a strictly aesthetic standpoint, it's a badass logo. You look at Chief Five Feathers for the Blackhawks, which that's still around somehow. Chief Alonowick logo was amazing. Just really awesome work. But I digress. This weird thing that we attach to these symbols that they somehow result in our freedom of expression. And I understand that that can be a conversation that gets really muddied. Freedom of expression. I should be able to hang that flag or I should be able to celebrate Chief Alonowick at these games. But ultimately, it does, I think, include a bit of selfishness. And here's what I mean by that. The Confederate flag, for example, at a NASCAR event. I understand that's become ingrained in the whole NASCAR culture. That's kind of what you do in the South. It's something that you hang, and it's just as much a flag that you'd hang at a NASCAR event as you would a Chicago Bears C flag up outside of Soldier Field. But think about people that would be walking around the tailgate lots. Let's say that it was a black man walking around the tailgate lots. How is he supposed to feel about a Confederate flag? Let's say it is a Native American individual that comes to an Illinois game and they were to see Chief Alonawak dancing on the field. And I know the Charlene Teeters is the first one to do that. And even I had a hard time reconciling her testimony in that documentary in whose honor with my own personal feelings. I thought, well, come on. I mean, you know, Chief Alonawak's coming from a good place. It's well-intentioned. Why is she so upset about this thing? But she was. Other people have been. And ultimately, what benefit am I getting from this thing that is causing discomfort for others? Or more than discomfort, because listen, I don't think discomfort's necessarily a bad thing, but pain or anguish, that is a bad thing. If it's causing that in other people, why do I need to hold on to it? My experience at Illinois Games has not been greatly diminished because Chief Alonowak does not dance on the field. NASCAR fans' experience in the tailgate lots should not be significantly diminished if you cannot fly a Confederate flag. But it could certainly diminish someone else's experience to the point where they feel like, I'm not welcome here. I'm not welcome at this NASCAR event. Why? They're waving Confederate flags. Why would a black guy go there and feel comfortable walking around that? I'm sure you see some of that down at SEC country too. Mississippi, their state flag still has the Confederate flag as one quarter of their state flag. So if you walk around the Grove, I got to think that there are going to be a few Mississippi flags with that little Confederate flag, or maybe just full-blown Confederate flags hanging around at those tailgate lots. Again, how do you feel? Especially when you look at the athletes on the field at Ole Miss, for example, are mostly black in the first place. 
it just made me think about the localized experience we have with Chief Alonawek, how it's a debate that some people will still bring up. I have someone that I know that literally stopped rooting for Illinois because Chief is no longer dancing on the sidelines. I don't agree with that, but hey, you can do whatever you want to. For me, the event of the game was far bigger than the halftime show. Did the halftime show sometimes enhance my experience? Yes. As a younger kid, I loved it. But at 33, I can say genuinely, I have not thought about Chief Illiniwek when I've been in a Illini football or Illini basketball game for at least a decade. Out of sight, out of mind. It does not have that much of a negative impact. I mean, sure, the football and basketball teams have generally stunk. That has had a far greater impact than Chief Illiniwek would. And ask yourself, in this decade of futility for Illini Revenue Sports, would Chief Illiniwek have greatly improved your experience as you're trailing Florida A&M at home by eight at halftime? No, I don't think it would change your experience that much. So again, it goes back to this idea. How much are these things benefiting, or I should say enhancing your experience, the Confederate flag for NASCAR fans or Chief Illiniwek here, again, an apples and oranges comparison to the amount of anguish that it could be causing someone else. And when I frame it like that, to me, it just does not seem worth it to hang that flag or to have Chief Illiniwek dancing on the sideline. Now, we got rid of Chief back in 2007. We're finally getting rid of the Confederate flag at NASCAR events in 2020. Took them long enough. But I think that does show that movements matter, that protesting matters, and it has an impact. Now, sometimes these things are merely lip service from corporations. So we have, is a Quaker that owns Aunt Jemima? They're getting rid of Aunt Jemima syrup. Okay, fine. I think it's probably a fairly empty move on their part. But at the same time, is it really going to hurt anyone that Aunt Jemima syrup is not available at Schnucks? Does it really matter? It shouldn't. So as we see the removal of these racist symbols and imagery, I understand why the slippery slope argument gets brought up. Well, if you take this away, what else are you going to take away? But ultimately, I haven't ever seen anything in my life. Let's take the Chief Illiniwek thing, right? They removed him. Well, what else happened? Think about it. What slippery slope thing happened after the removal of Chief? They didn't take the Fighting Illini name away, and they won't. Yeah, they got rid of the war chant, but did they get rid of the three and one? No. Someone could say, well, Carb, come on, don't be naive. They could certainly do that coming up. I don't know. Maybe they could. But they got rid of the two most blatantly Native American imagery from Chief Alaniwek to the war chant, which is totally a rip from all these old Hollywood cowboy and Indian movies from the 20s and 30s. They got rid of those things, nothing else. So the slippery slope argument as of yet does not apply. We've not gotten rid of Fighting Illini. We've not changed her name. We haven't changed anything else about your game day experience or the Illini apparel that you get to buy from Nike or any other outlet. No, it's still there. So when we remove the Confederate flag and someone says, well, what's next? I can't listen to Leonard Skinner in the parking lot. No, you, you can. That's fine. You're telling me that I can't watch my old Dukes of Hazard DVD set? Sure you can. Why not? But these are incremental improvements in environments that should be open to anybody to go to an NASCAR race or go to an Illini game and not feel uncomfortable because there was something blatantly racist going on. Now, you may be saying, Carp, are you calling Chief Illiniwek blatantly racist? There's one thing about the Chief argument that I would tell anyone that is vehemently anti-Chief, period. And I would say, I know a lot of pro-Chief people. I was a pro-Chief person myself. And that our feelings towards Chief we're coming from a good place. And I do think intent matters in arguments like that. There was not an ill intent behind Chief Alaniwek. That counts for something, I think, right? But at the end of the day, even that does not overcome 
the ultimately racist symbol that it was. And when I say racist symbol, I'm talking about white guy dressing up as an Indian, headdress, face paint, dancing to a, again, Hollywood version of an old Cowboys Indians theme. That is racist. It just is. So I would suggest for people that are holding on to those vestiges of old images and old symbols, let it go. And you'll find that your experience does not really change. It, it really doesn't. When I was at the Illinois-Iowa game on March 8th, the last thought in my mind was, ah, you know what really set this over the top is if Chief was dancing at halftime. No, I was having a great time because I'm there for sports. Just like an NASCAR fan should be there for the racing. It, it does not negatively impact one's experience that much to have those things taken away. All right, last thing that I was thinking of. The last three weeks, I guess it has been three weeks since the George Floyd thing really broke. That would have been Memorial Day weekend. So we're coming up on a month, essentially, of this going on. And we have seen the conversation open up into all realms, including here on the podcast. And I appreciate, again, your patience. If you're here for the sports, I'm telling you, I'm going to keep repeating this. We're going to try to get back to it. But right now, most sports stories are totally intertwined with what's going on socially and politically. That's just the fact of the matter. So this happens three and a half weeks ago with George Floyd. Video comes out. All the reactions happen. And then reactions from athletes and athletes that actually are speaking out on things before that they had not, at least to this degree. Certainly, we saw bubbles of that back during the Kaepernick thing in 2016, 2017, but they were relatively muted compared to this because I think, as with anything, it takes time to feel fully comfortable and confident that, you know what, I'm going to use my voice for this. So athletes finally have the confidence they need to use their pulpit to speak out on these things. And why not? When you consider that most of the athletes we watch, let's call it what it is, for college, football, and basketball, for the four professional sports leagues, well, not the NHL so much, but you get my point, lots of black athletes, the majority of them, especially in football and basketball. And I think back to my own decade or so of being on the radio and now doing the podcast and how a big part of the job was speaking with black athletes or just covering black athletes. That's just the long and short of it. That is part of what we do and we get paid for it. And after all these conversations have finally opened up, I got to give credit, for example, to News Gazette. Jeff D'Alessio, News Gazette, giving a column to local black men and women to talk about their experiences, giving them a megaphone that they haven't had before. That's great forward thinking from our own local paper. Bob Osmussen, great job of covering former Atlanta athletes and what they think about it. He was the one that wrote the article to, uh, with Kerry Davis that made me want to reach out to Kerry and speak with him. Someone that I knew would be outspoken anyways, but it was really Bob's article that made me think this would be an interview worth having because I want to get Carrie's perspective on this. And that's really, for me, a driving force that will go well into when games come back, is making sure that as long as this conversation is going on, which I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon, that I am trying to learn and trying to gain some new perspectives that I hadn't had before. How do I do that? Talking my way through it, even if it's clumsy sometimes, right? That's naturally going to happen. But also talking to black athletes and getting their take on it. So that is one example, right, over the News Gazette of good things that they are doing to bring the focus to local black men and women, let them tell their story. That means something, especially when you consider the readership of the News Gazette. If I had to guess, a little bit older, pretty white. No, you're, you're actually bringing into their homes perspectives that they may not have heard before. That's important. 
I am disappointed, though, with some local figures. And I'm thinking specifically from the sports coverage angle, where there are some outlets where there's just been a complete lack of coverage on this, as if it doesn't exist, as if these conversations aren't happening, as if there are not protests on the streets, as if there are not athletes speaking out on this every single day, sweeping this under the rug and pretending that it doesn't happen. And that's been a very frustrating part of this as I try to figure out, well, what is, what's the formula for the 200 level now that there are no live sports and that we have this thing going on? And I decided to just dive right in because it would be disingenuous to come on here and not talk about those things as if either they don't happen or I I don't feel comfortable doing it. So I'm just going to avoid it. Screw that. I mentioned the word comfort and I tried to walk that back earlier this podcast. It's not about comfort. There's going to be discomfort. That's naturally going to happen. Embrace it. Again, we're going to be clumsy talking about these things, especially white people. I'm going to stumble my way through some of these things. Like how you wake up in the middle of the night, 2.30, you need to use the bathroom, and it's all dark. The way that you walk to the bathroom, trying to avoid tripping on the comforter. <laughs> That's what's going to happen as we try to navigate what I understand can feel like a minefield. But... To not do so is an act of cowardice. To not speak out or to not at least give the platform to people that can speak to it a little bit. When we are in a business that profits mostly from covering black athletes, that is a hypocrisy that I I can't live with, at least in terms of how we're doing this show. And I understand that's not for everybody, but With the dearth of live sports going on right now, unless you wanted me to talk Korean baseball, which I have no interest in, this is really the sports topic right now. That intersection of sports and politics, the racial issues, policing issues. Kerry Davis on this very podcast saying that he had a gun pulled on him five different times by police officers. I've had a couple run-ins with cops. It's scary. It's intimidating. They're authority figures. They got guns. Never had a gun pulled on me. That would mess with me a little bit, because if I think back to my experiences with cops, you're a little bit shaken up anyways, because you don't want to do anything wrong. You don't want to say anything wrong. Well, imagine if I were in either of those situations thinking I legitimately could die if I said the wrong thing or move my hand in a certain way, or maybe did nothing at all. But that has been something that has really, what's an old term, grinded my gears (laughs) or really frustrated me to see local media from a sports lens or a good chunk of it, not really engage. Yet, rest assured, when the games start up again, they'll be going to these black athletes and saying, well, how'd you score that touchdown? Or how'd you dunk that ball? And it's like, come on. Where were you during this? Not saying anything? That's convenient. That's an easy maneuver to just say, you know what? I don't know. I'm I'm just going to let this one sit for a bit and wait for the games to start. Come on. Disappointing to say the least. And I'm hoping that, you know, there's still time. It's not even a bandwagon to jump on. It's not that. It's just what is top of mind. And if there's one thing I remember from journalism school, which, (laughs) you know, I went in for news editorial, even though I really wanted to do radio instead, but top of mind or relevance. What is relevant? This is what's relevant. Games that aren't even on the schedule, they're fairly irrelevant. And we can only do speculative sports talk or sports media coverage for so long before it just becomes a drag. There would be a counter argument that says, well, Carp, I've frankly had enough of your social commentary. Okay, fine. 
And trust me, if this is all I can talk about for the next five months, then I would even get tired of it too. That's why I'm trying my best to incorporate different voices and touch on different topics because, again, of the lack of live sports that we have to cover. It's just or a complete absence of it in all reality. But it's what's going on. Let's just talk about it. I, I think that if there is one thing that I have learned in all this, I was silent on a lot of these issues because I felt like I didn't want to ruffle feathers. I've been a very non-confrontational person. I don't like putting people in situations where they necessarily feel uncomfortable. So for example, you know, any work environment, if you have lunch with your coworkers, and there's always that one that's just really outspoken and they get started and you can kind of feel the collective groan. No one's groaning out loud, but they're all sort of inside thinking, oh my God, here goes Tom again. I've never worked with the Tom, but I'm just using that as an example. So we've all been in that situation, and I get why those situations just make us ugh, make your skin crawl a little bit. But this is a little bit different, right? Because I think that, if anything, it's okay to acknowledge, as you enter a conversation like this, that there are blind spots I have, there are things I don't know, there are things that I need to learn, and I'm going to kind of stumble my way through this, but at least I'm going to try. That's all I would ask people to do. The more people that get engaged in a conversation like this, the more fruitful it will be. When people refuse to engage in a conversation like this, younger people, I'm not even talking age thing. There's younger people in sports media that haven't said a damn word about this and have went on as business as usual. And I, I want to like knock on their head and say, hello, any thoughts in there? Anything? When again, most of the people you cover are black athletes. Got nothing to say. Nothing to say. That business as usual crap is, again, a form of cowardice. Not speaking, or if not speaking, at least giving the platform so they can speak. Because for decades, for generations, they have not really been able to speak truth to power for what they've experienced. And instead, status quo, business as usual. I find that pisses me off, if I'm being honest. That pisses me off. And it that's just how some people are. They just sort of have a role, and that's the only role they're going to play. I've been going back and forth on this and in my own life and how I deal with certain topics like this. And often I would go to euphemistic language or I'd try to play the, I'd try to bridge the gap between two polar opposite sides because I enjoy debate at its core. I enjoy even debates about politics and social issues because even if I don't agree with somebody on it, I'd rather have the conversation than not. But I, I do try to soften language so I don't run anybody off for fear of saying race, police brutality. You know, I don't, <laughs> back in the day, I probably would not have just said even those words, but they are something that needs to be talked about. So that's something I'm making a conscious effort to not do, to speak in euphemistic language. Screw that. Why would I do that? Who am I answering to? I mean, technically, I don't have a boss here. I have you listeners are kind of like a boss because. If I need sponsors or something like that, I need to be able to say, well, I got X amount of listeners. But other than that, not really. And if anything, I'd like to think that any listener that's come with me from 93.5 over to this podcast, they already know that I'm not at least fingers crossed. Please, this would be the worst thing. I would never want to be this. Vanilla milk toast. If I ever get to that, I need those iTunes reviews really piling in saying, Carp, you've gotten vanilla, you've gotten boring. Do you have any thoughts? Anything, anything original. 
If I ever get to that point, please, for God's sake, let me know, and I'm going to shut this thing down or do an intense reevaluation of how I do these things. But if there's one thing that I need to do behind the microphone, it's to come on and be honest with you. I am not being honest if I come on here and say that, you know what, I think it's okay that people just kind of don't say a damn thing about it and just la-di-da. No, that bothers me. It pisses me off. So that, that is something that I hope that people that have thus far been quiet on this. Again, you don't need to necessarily go on your column or on whatever outlet you're using and say, here is my manifesto on race. I wouldn't expect that of anyone. That would be an unfair expectation. But if you're involved in media and it's just an ever-growing sort of thing, sports media, you got the blogs, you got the podcast, you got the radio shows, you got the columns, you name it. There are just so many different ways that we consume these things and so many different voices. And when you don't have games, there is no better time than now to use those outlets and let other people do the talking if you don't feel comfortable talking about it yourself or if you just want to learn. If we're going through this whole thing and there are people that are actively not listening to what's going on, or actively not trying to learn. What are you doing? You're missing a great opportunity. Even if you come out on the other side of this and you listen and you're like, you know what? I didn't really change my opinion. At least you listened. At least you tried to listen to a different perspective instead of just coasting. But maybe it's a human nature thing, right? We don't want to shake the tree. We don't want to really challenge our own opinions. And God knows I can get in a rut with my own biases and my own opinions. And I try to challenge those the best I can. I try to consume media that I know, and that's not me per se, but if I don't, then I'm going to go unchecked. And I don't want to be that person. I don't want my own thoughts and opinions to go unchecked. So I try to be diverse. Like I spoke with John Paul a couple weeks ago, I try to be diverse in the kind of media I consume. But to just go through this whole thing and not try to learn from the people that you would normally get your material from, black athletes, that right now are speaking to this more than they ever have before. It's right there. Our material is right there. Our ability to use our platforms, to actually engage in something more constructive than just sports talk. And damn straight, there's, there's nothing wrong with just sports talk. Nothing wrong with it. But we can also couple that especially when there are no games going on. <laughs> we can couple that with something a little bit more meaningful. That, that's my Jerry Maguire moment. Remember when he wrote that little, well, not little, I think he stayed up all night and he wrote like a 48-page manifesto, for lack of a better word, about how he wants to change the way that we represent our athletes. And he gets laughed out of the room by all the people at his agency and he keeps Cuba Gooding Jr. and falls in love with... I about said Reese Witherspoon, Renee Zellweger. Sorry, it's been a while since I've seen that movie. But essentially, I guess that's kind of what I'm asking of peers in this industry. And this goes beyond Champaign-Urbana or, or Illinois. I mean, this is just something that I've seen from sports media people across the board. Okay, so this is not entirely localized, but it's something that has been sticking in my craw. Is that a term? Old-timey term. Sticking in my craw, and I just had to get that off my chest. That's it for this episode. Usually I want to try to give you an hour and 40 minutes, and that's an opening segment, an interview. But no interviews today. We're going to be lining up quite a few when I get back from vacation. So that's going to be late June, 
what is that, June 28th or 29th, we'll get a new one up, and into July. I'll have another vacation in the end of July up to Wisconsin. I know, poor me, right? You, you spend all this time at home, essentially three and a half months at home, and I need a break from hanging out at home. That's what I need. So that's what my wife and I are going to do with the pup and go to Michigan next week. Nice and cool up there, 75, sunny, going to be hanging out in a very secluded area and just chill. So in the meantime, for whatever happens next week, we'll be sure to address it if it's still relevant when I get back in town. And hopefully there will actually be games on the docket to talk about. We are getting close to NBA basketball returning. We are getting close to if Major League Baseball were to start on July 19th, for example. We're a month away from that. So these things are on the horizon. Football is on the horizon. I know that all of it is in flux with the pandemic. But when I see the U of I, for example, unveil their plans to get all 40,000 students and staff back, test them, trace them, I'm thinking, okay, you know, maybe maybe this will work. I mean, you can't stop everything forever. And you do need to eventually resume some sort of sense of normalcy. But I think that as we progress as a podcast, I say we, I'm including you in there. I mean, my God, if you're listening to this thing as we have talked all these months without live sports, then I appreciate you more than you would know. Your patience for listening to a sports podcast when there are no sports to be had. But we will continue to find that balance between the larger issues going on and then the games in the field around the court. I'm going to, again, stumble my way through it, but hopefully do so in a way that's entertaining for you and at least moderately interesting. Guest help, and we're going to have plenty of good ones along the way. All right, Harry and Trevor, we'll get them on when I get back from vacation too. We will have some sort of 100th episode extravaganza. Not sure what that looks like, but we'll have some fun with it. Hopefully at least get Brightweiser on there. And of course, Harry and Trevor and Isaac Ambrose, all the 200 level characters that we've had from the inception back when Brightweiser and I started back in 2017. But I hope you have a great week, great weekend first and a great week next week because it will be about 10 days before I speak speak to you again. All right, before we get out of here, a reminder, the 200 level is brought to you by dpdo.com. For all the best deals and prices, dpdo.com. Also, 4th and Kirby online at 4thandkirby.com. Use coupon code 200 level for 10% off at 4thandkirby.com. And finally, State Farm agent Brian Hansen online at brianismyguy.com. That's Brian ismyguy.com, Trevor's favorite domain. Alana Inquirer, Champagne Showers Podcast Network, partners with the 200 level. We'll see you in about 10 days. Have a good week. I'm sure plenty of crap is going to be going on, and we'll address all of it, or at least some of it, when I get back in about 9, 10 days. Until then, take care. It is the 200 level.